I'm Anthony Corelli. This is episode three of this brand new podcast, and I'm entitling it, Are There Really Ghosts? And we'll get to that controversial subject in a second. Before we do so, let's do a little bit of housekeeping, if you don't mind. Um, and just a reminder, this podcast is brand new. And honestly, um, I'm kind of doing this from scratch. I'm learning as I go. So I'll ask that you bear with me. I will get better at the technical stuff uh, for sure. But um, I felt a, an urgent need to launch this podcast maybe before I was um, educated enough to actually make this uh, production quality anyway. But we'll, uh, we'll get there, trust me. And the reason I felt that urgency is because I look around in the world and I see so much evil and it's honestly in plain sight. It's not hiding anymore. In the media, you see so many stories of atrocities that maybe once would be considered inconceivable, and now they're commonplace. And in my spirit, I believe that the enemy has ramped up his game. The devil and his demons are fulfilling um, their duties in a bigger scheme and a bigger plan than any of us can even imagine. And so I didn't feel that waiting was an option anymore because people are hurting. We can see these stories in the media and we can feel bad or we can feel shocked maybe. But I think oftentimes we forget that there's real people, real victims of these atrocities. And a lot of times their story goes untold or even unnoticed because we focus so much on the perpetrators of these atrocities. So I would like to kind of maybe as we go forward here, begin to put the call out for people who are struggling with what they consider evil, demonic attack, spiritual warfare, things of that nature. Maybe you're somebody who isn't really sure that what you're going through is actually spiritual in nature. I want to hear from you anyway. I want you to be able to tell your story and let us dissect it, if you will. Let us look at it and compare it through the lenses um, that we're laying in this foundation of these first nine episodes of this podcast. Let's see what you think, and let's see what our listeners think, and let's see if we could bring you real help. Now, if you're somebody with a story, I'm going to ask that that you contact me and I've kind of figured the best way for us to do that in order to screen um, some of the stories is for you to reach out to me via email. You can find me at Anthony at the struggle com. Please send me an email. Give me a brief overview of your story and some contact information and I'll contact you and we'll talk about it. And if you feel comfortable we might record you and put you on an episode. If it's more comfortable to simply tell me your story and let me retell it on the air, that will be fine too. But we want to pray for you. We want to help you. That's what this podcast is about. So again, if you have a story or you have questions, feel free to reach out to me at anthony at com via email. Give me a little bit of information. Make sure you give me a good subject line so I know exactly what I'm working with. 
and we'll begin to formulate the second season of this podcast, which is going to be each episode dedicated to a person trying to get them the help they need or to guide them to the help that they need. So we look forward to hearing from you. I can't wait. Let's do a little more um, housekeeping before we jump into the episode. You can reach me on the social medias, um, and I put all of that information in the show notes on the bottom. Right now, the uh, social medias are under my name, Anthony Corelli. Um, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, uh, also on Twitter. But uh, over the next week or so, I'm going to be creating separate pages and separate um, uh, social medias for the podcast by itself. That way we don't cloud the uh, the personal pages with the um, social media pages for the podcast. But um, bear with me again. We're doing this from scratch. With that being said, um, I'm going to kind of re-explain the first nine weeks of this podcast just so you have an idea of what we're doing here. For those of you who've listened to the first two episodes, you've heard me say that for the first nine weeks, we want to lay a foundation, kind of an overview of the paranormal, spirituality, spiritual warfare in and of itself. Who are the demons? And of course, in this episode, are there really ghosts? Why is that important? Because the question even, are there really ghosts, might seem stupid to some people, and it might seem inversely stupid to other people for different reasons. There is no um, way that anybody who you meet can tell you 100% for sure one way or the other. What I'm trying to do is lay the foundation of what I believe in light of how we're going to help people on this podcast. So please keep in mind that friendly debate is always welcome to some extent, but that's not the nature of this podcast. If you don't believe in what we believe in here, that's okay. But we are going to help people from this framework. So I want to be upfront for these first nine weeks and give you the opportunity to see what we're about. I would challenge you though, to maybe su suspend your disbelief in some of the things that I'm saying, because I've helped a lot of people and um, I don't help them in and of myself. So I help them by introducing them to this amazing, loving God and his son, Jesus Christ. And in order to do that, we have to turn to scriptures and we have to see what God has to say about demons and spiritual warfare. Fortunately, for those of us of the Christian faith, we have scriptures that clearly outline what Jesus thought of demons, how Jesus handled demons, and how God wants us to turn to him in those times of struggle. So with that being said, episode three right now is entitled, Are There Really Ghosts? That question is important because most people who study the paranormal come from a very large framework or belief system, if you will, that ghosts are the primary target of their investigations. And maybe more importantly, ghosts are the primary antagonists in someone's story. 
For example, if a paranormal team goes to a house, I would challenge you to say that most paranormal teams are going there under the assumption that they're going to find a ghost. And most paranormal teams would tell you that there are demons or maybe they would call them evil spirits, but that those are rare and that most paranormal interactions are in fact ghosts. I'm going to challenge that a little bit today and we're going to maybe explain why that's important. Maybe to some of you, it won't be important. But I want you to hear what I have to say. So again, like in episode two, let's challenge your belief systems a little bit. Now, do I believe there's uh, an entity called a ghost? I sure do. But maybe that ghost belief doesn't fit into the same belief system as yours does. So let's all tear our belief systems apart for this episode and start from scratch if we can. In order to do so, I'd like to read a passage from my first book called The Struggle. This book was uh, released in 2019, but it was written uh, maybe about a year and a half before that. Um, Actually, all three books in the Struggle Series trilogy were written at the same time, Um, and they've just been broken up into pieces uh, I'm sorry, books one and two, The Struggle and The Sacrifice are all available uh, at the places you buy books. But again, we're not really trying to sell books here. Uh, Feel free to check them out if you'd like. And then uh, the uh, third book in the series called The Return is actually in publishing. So we'll hope to get that out to you sooner than later. But those things take some time. With that being said, I'm going to read an excerpt from my book, The Struggle. And not to uh, kill the story, but in this book, a rebel pastor named Anthony. Um, guess you can't uh, bet you can't guess where that name come from. But a rebel pastor named Anthony is trying to help a family who is under massive demonic attack. And the story is complicated because while he's trying to help the family, a murder occurs, and the police are trying to solve a murder in the same location as the family is trying to undergo some deliverance ministry. And so there's a lot of crossover and a lot of questions that are still up in the air. And in this chapter, we read um, how some of the answers that the police are looking for are given through a spiritual intervention uh, that involves Anthony and his team, as well as the family that's undergoing the demonic attack. Anthony sat facing the loft with his back to the stairway. Pamela, Jenna, and Christina were on the back wall of the loft facing the pastor. Julie and Nathan sat on his left with their backs to the rail. To his right was Detective Pingitore. To her right, on the wall opposite the railing, was Detective Silver and Nathan. The only empty spot was the corner adjacent to the pastor. As Anthony took a breath before continuing, he saw the look in their eyes, which caused him to shudder. The chill that went up his spine was followed by the revelation that whatever was terrifying them was right behind him. Before Anthony could turn to look, he felt an icy cold finger touch him on the back of his neck. 
He jumped to his feet and turned in one motion to see what had touched him. It's not that he wanted to see what had touched him. He knew that he had to see what had touched him. The fear on the faces of the group members told him he, it would not be pleasant. Most think that seeing a black demon form with red piercing eyes is the scariest thing you could see. That is not always the case. What they all saw was an image that would be permanently etched into their minds. It was the kind of thing that cannot be described. It could only be witnessed. What they saw was the mutilated body of a young girl. The girl was glowing as if a bright halogen bulb was pulsing inside of her. There were pieces of her flesh that were missing. The entire left side of her face was missing. An eyeball protruded from an open eye socket. Her neck was completely ripped open, exposing her larynx. Her left hand was missing two fingers. It was easy to see that the flesh had been torn away from her body as if by a wild animal. The hole where the girl's mouth used to be was trying to move. Anthony assumed she was trying to speak. The words were not audible. As a matter of fact, the room was supernaturally silent as if they were in a vacuum. Anthony had always dealt with demons, but he had not encountered a ghost since he was a child. As a matter of fact, he wasn't sure that he even believed in ghosts wondering if they were just demons manifesting as deceased people. Regardless of his theological dilemma, there stood a little ghost girl. He was unsure of what to do. The girl was obviously trying to communicate. She seemed desperate to convey her message. Finally, the girl stuck up her mutilated right hand and pointed down the hallway. They all looked in that direction but saw nothing. It was obvious that she was trying to show them something. No one was willing to investigate what she was pointing at. Anthony was the closest to her, so he had the best chance to read her lips. Unfortunately, she had no lips to read. He could see that she was trying desperately to communicate. He asked God, Please help me, Lord. What is she trying to say? His prayer was answered immediately. She stopped trying to speak and stared directly at the pastor. She then spoke to him telepathically. He heard her say, Can you hear me? He realized that she must have heard his prayer. He knew in that moment this was another way to communicate with the spirits. He answered her in his mind, Yes, I can. She seemed to smile even through her torn facial flesh. He was in awe as he had never communicated with the spirit in this fashion. He felt sad for her, as his empathic gift also connected with her. She told him, I died here. He asked her, Is your name Regina? She said yes, and then began to cry. Anthony wondered if the group could decipher their communication. The group could not see the tears on the little girl's face because there were no cheeks for them to fall on. They could not hear anything. The group sat silent as they watched Pastor Anthony and the spirit of the little girl locked in a deep stare. Joshua thought about shaking him out of his trance, but Julie stopped him. She could sense that God was involved in this exchange. 
The detectives could only stare as they were not trained to handle situations such as this. Anthony interrupted the little girl's tears and said, Are you trying to tell us something? She nodded yes. Is something keeping you from going to Jesus? She again nodded yes. Anthony snapped. Who is keeping you here? She said, I can't go until I show you. Then, as if she had something urgent to do, she ran down the hall at a supernatural speed. Anthony ran after her, and the group quickly followed down the hall. She darted into Christina's room. Anthony followed her inside, but only a few steps in. She was standing at the window overlooking the backyard. He tried to speak to the girl in his mind, but somehow the connection was broken. In his mind, he said, Regina, please show me what you want me to see. The rest of the group also crowded into the room behind him. The little girl, still, still glowing, looked back at the group to make sure they were all watching. The little girl, standing at the window, raised her right hand and pointed to the backyard. While she was pointing, a blinding white light began to envelop her. The light was so bright and brilliant that the group was forced to shield their eyes. Anthony felt holiness that reminded him of his teenage encounter with an angel. As Anthony tried to stare, he saw the little girl step out of the light and look directly at Christina. The two locked eyes for just a few seconds. Anthony knew they were speaking telepathically. The conversation must have ended because little Regina Collins stepped back into the light. The light began to slowly fade away. Regina faded with the light until they all stood in the darkness. Christina flipped on the light, which seemed far dimmer than the light they had just witnessed. Everyone stood speechless, including the detectives, who seemed more stunned than anyone. Christina broke the silence by saying, Pastor Anthony, I, told, I know you told me not to tell the police about Gina until later. I think we should tell them now. Now again in that story, I wrote about a ghost. And in my story, I wrote a phrase that said, I'm not really sure I believe in ghosts. And I want you to know something transparently. I'm still not really sure where I stand with the topic of ghosts because it's a very controversial subject. And more importantly, it's something that lives in the forefront of the paranormal movement that we see all over television and movies. And my beliefs are controversial because I have to convey them through the eyes of scripture. And more importantly, when attempting to help somebody under spiritual attack, I have to know that what I'm trying to accomplish is accurate in terms of being um, pushed through a spiritual biblical lens. So let's talk a little bit about what the Bible says about ghosts. Now, when I think of watching a paranormal show, which I do from time to time, and, I, and I'm going to touch on that a little more in just a second, 
I watch um, as the paranormal investigators are trying uh, using a multitude of different devices and, and uh, techniques in order to try to capture evidence of what they would mostly call a spirit. Because I, again, I think that they're not really sure what they're dealing with either, because although you may have shows with the name ghost in their title, I think most of the time they're honest enough to know that they're not really sure what types of spirits they're dealing with. Um, but the Bible says something crazy to me when I think about, are there ghosts? Now, if you go to the old Testament and you find the book of first Samuel in chapter 28, we find a story about a ghost, actually the ghost of a prophet that was called up by a medium. And this was not allowed. The medium was actually fearful because she was being asked by somebody who, who had the power to actually have her killed for doing the very thing that was being asked of her, which was summon up spirits. And so when we read in this chapter about a prophet that was brought up from the dead and we clearly read that this is what we what we what would we could would consider excuse me a ghost because his spirit was pulled up from the dead to this realm in spirit form and communicated confirming his identity and you're going to notice a lot of times in my teaching that I'm not going to give you the gory details because I want you I challenge you to read this passage for yourself. Uh, even people well-versed in the Bible, I, I would ask that you go back and read it through the lens of trying to understand, because I think a lot of times we can read a passage like that and just skim right past it because there's bigger meanings within the passage that we're normally focused on. But this prophet was summoned up and said, why did you wake me? Why did you bring me here, basically? And I'm paraphrasing, of course. And you can quickly delve into a theological rabbit hole that would probably um, blow your mind would be an understatement. Because at this time, Jesus had not been on earth, and therefore there wasn't salvation in the way that we know it through the Messiah or the Savior, Jesus Christ. So this was prior to Jesus being on earth. So what happened to the dead in first Samuel, first Samuel chapter 28 was different than what happened to the dead after Jesus was raised from the dead. Um, we also read in scriptures through the gospels that when Jesus came back from the dead, people said that they saw other spirits of people they knew. Well, these would be considered ghosts, right? Um, one of the craziest passages that, that I like to turn to when people ask me, was there um, ghosts in the New Testament? Or at least what is your belief on that? And I always like to point them to Mark chapter six, verse 49. And we all know this story pretty well. Most of us do that. There's 
uh, a time where Jesus stayed back to pray and his disciples got on a boat and in the middle of the night or early morning, Jesus walked on the water to join them back on the boat. And I think, again, what a lot of us overlook is as Jesus was walking on the water, um, the Bible says again in Mark 6, 49, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart. It is I do not be afraid. Now in the Greek, the word ghost uh, is phantasma, which where we get the term, you know, uh, a phantom or a spirit, um, or in the English translation would be the word ghost. And when you read that passage, you have to believe that the people of that day were just as fearful as seeing a quote unquote ghost than we are today. And so there had to be spirits, um, disembodied spirits, to use a paranormal term, that people saw from time to time in order to explain um, what was seen. Um, notice in here that the, the uh, disciples didn't say, there's the spirit of a demon. They actually used the word phantasma or ghost. So I find a lot of Christians believe that ghosts do not exist. And I don't know if I necessarily disagree with that statement or agree with that statement. I think it's much more complicated than that. Um, so in my story, I wrote about a ghost girl that is helping the police find a body in order to solve a crime. But has that ever really happened to me? No, that part of the book is, is very much fiction, but do people see ghosts? Let's kind of put some theoreticals out there. If people see a ghost, could it be the spirit of somebody who is either stayed here for a purpose or God has allowed to come back for a purpose. Now, here's where paranormal people would challenge me and say, well, ghosts don't always go to heaven or hell right away. They might stay for a purpose. Now, I have to, again, look at that through the Christian lens and say that in Hebrews 9.27, and again, I'll paraphrase, that it's basically left for us to die once and then after that to face judgment. And so when we die, do we go right away to face judgment? Do we hang around here and then go face judgment later? Um, that's a very controversial topic. And I'll be honest with you. I don't really know a hundred percent. Now, I'm going to I'm going to give you another passage from the Old Testament that I think is very relevant for today um and this is the part that may you know ruffle some feathers a little bit but it says in Leviticus 19:31 do not turn to mediums or to seek out spiritualists. Now 
Many of you listening to this podcast may consider yourself a medium or a spiritualist. Many of you who will listen to this podcast will be offended by that and maybe use arguments like, well, it also says other things in Leviticus that we don't follow today. But I think we have to look at the purpose of the of the passage. And for my work, this is very relevant because many of the people who I have helped throughout my time in ministry, as well as as a therapist, were people that consulted mediums and spiritualists and found themselves in the midst of a demonic attack. Now, again, I'm giving a lot of info here for clarification. Do I believe mediums are real? Do I believe that some of them can actually do what they say they do? You better believe I do. Remember, the passage in 1 Samuel 28 told us that there was a medium who was able to summon the spirit of a dead prophet. So this has to be true. There has to be people who are gifted in this area. Now, where I may differ from some of you is that I believe that God grants us gifts. And some gifts may come to us after a conversion into Christianity, and other gifts may just be inherent in us from birth for whatever reason God gave those to us. And it's really what we choose to do with those gifts that can make or break us in terms of being um, somebody who is um, maybe going down a path that will lead them to a massive demonic oppression down the road. And maybe somebody who has a gift who might um, help others. And again, very cloudy. Now, throughout my life, I have been able to discern spirits. Um, people say, well, then you're a medium or you're a clairvoyant. And I've heard all of these different terms, but I don't see it under that lens. I am a Christian who, by the grace of God, has been given the gift of discernment. And being able to discern spirits has honestly been more of a curse um, in terms of personally than it has been what I would consider a gift. However, because uh, it's seasons of my life, I've used that gift to be able to discern people's emotions. Um, I use the term empathic a lot, even though that is a parapsychological term. Um, I use it a lot because it fits who I am. I can very much get in tune with other people's feelings. That is what's considered an empath. But in reality, in Christian terms, it is a gift of discernment, being able to discern what people are feeling, what they're emoting. And I have used that, honestly, as a manipulative tool. I'm not proud of that. I'm not saying that's what the gift is for, but I have used it for manipulative and nefarious purposes. Again, their shame and even the thought that I have done that, but I'm, I'm an honest person and I'm going to be honest with you. And I'm making the point that we can use our gifts for bad, but as a therapist and as a minister, I have also used that gift to help people get to the root of what they're struggling with. And I believe that's why God gave me that gift. Do I consider myself a medium or a clairvoyant? I do not. Would some of the things you'll hear me speak about and write about 
meet the different definition of those terms? Maybe so. But again, if you are somebody that considers yourself a medium or a spiritualist or a clairvoyant, um, my only challenge to you is what are your motives with that? And as you, um, find yourself wrestling with your spirituality, I believe that the Holy Spirit will help you sort that out. You're going to find out with me very quickly that I'm not one of those beat you over the head, biblical, um, people. I am somebody who just desires for you to know Jesus. And so you and Jesus get to meet and you get to know each other. He's going to help you figure out what you need to get rid of and what you need to keep. I am often told that I am somebody who doesn't call out sin enough and doesn't uh, judge enough or doesn't um, aggressively enough portray the gospel. And um, you'll find out through your time of meeting me that um, I can definitely call sin, sin when I see it. I can definitely uh, point out truth when the truth isn't what people want to hear. But as I've matured throughout ministry, I have realized that um, barking at people, calling out their sin in an aggressive tone, um, for the most part, is going to actually do the opposite. So um, please hear what I'm saying about this medium spiritualist thing. I'm not trying to pick a fight with you. What I am saying is that in terms of the help we're going to offer here, um, you may hear that a lot of people who are in the throes of a demonic attack actually opened a door through some pursuit of mediumship or occultism or something of that nature. Because when we're dealing with spirits, we're dealing with something that most of us don't know enough about um, to even be considered dangerous, let alone know enough about it to know the dangers that it presents. And so as we, as we look at what a ghost is, I'm, I'm making the point that if there are ghosts, I'm not really sure what their motives are. Um, but I'm going to make the controversial statement. Now, if there are ghosts that roam the earth, I believe they're very rare and they're probably very individualized to a message that has to be delivered to somebody on this side. Um, could I be wrong? Sure. But what I do know throughout my time is there are a whole lot of people that I have helped that when they started to experience paranormal activity in their homes, it first came in the image of a child ghost. And so when it was done and they realized it was a demon representing itself to be a ghost, they were in trouble. Now in my career, which is, you know, not a huge one in terms of maybe other, uh, uh, deliverance ministers that you'll run into, but in my career, I have never seen a child ghost stay a child ghost and the paranormal activity stay innocent. I've never seen it. And as a matter of fact, I challenge you, even if you are a paranormal enthusiast to go through 20 stories about child spirits and how those ended up 
very few of them, if any, stayed innocent. Because I believe that a better explanation for what a ghost is in terms of its interaction with us is a familiar demon or a familiar spirit who understands our history, our past, the history and the past of a location, and can represent themselves to be a spirit in order to lower your defenses. Remember, we discussed at the beginning of this podcast in earlier episodes that demons have to open a series of doors in order to obtain entry or permissions into your life. Well, I mean, as humorously as this would sound, very few of us would welcome a demon into our lives if it came in its truest, ugliest form, knocked on the door and said, hey, I want to hang out with you and destroy your life from the inside out. I'm pretty sure we'd shut the door and say no. But if a demon can understand history in the past and represent itself to be a ghost, we may not only welcome it in, we may actually be excited that it's there. I mean, after all, um, if you're on social media at all and you see videos of some sort of paranormal activity, that's exciting. That's intriguing. Um, you want to talk about going viral. Um, you can definitely um, bank on the fact that if there's something that cannot be explained in terms of visual video evidence, it will go viral because people are hungry to know what this stuff is about. So if I was a demon and I can let myself in through the first door, then the second door and the third door, I don't need to show who I really am until much later in the process. So let me use an example of a real life uh, paranormal haunting that um, you could easily look at um, on the internet if you wanted to uh, do a search. As a matter of fact, my first bonus episode for our Patreon uh, folks that's coming out in the next couple of weeks, I'm going to do an in-depth overview of this actual story. Uh, they call it the Heartland Ghost, or some people call it the Ghost of the Sally House. But I'm going to use this um, story, and for those of you who are familiar, just kind of bear with me. Some of this may sound uh, familiar, but it also may give you a different perspective. So in a little town called Atchison, Kansas, exists a place called the Sally House. And now it was named that after the fact. Um, it's actually just a very unassuming little home uh, in a neighborhood. Um, you wouldn't know what went on there if you drove by. Um, it would uh, be something that would just quickly escape your vision, let alone uh, definitely not something that would draw your attention. But inside this house, um, there is a lore, um, as a matter of fact, most people would say, at least in their top three, the most haunted house in the United States of America. Now, if you are a fan of the paranormal, you can, um, probably look at, uh, just about any show that you could find on TV, ghost hunters, ghost adventures, all the big ones. And they've been here or investigated this place. Now, what is the Sally house? Um, we find out about the story actually through a little show that is uh, decades old now called sightings where uh, camera crews in a medium and paranormal crews went into um, 
assess a haunting reported by a couple named Tony and Deborah Pickman. At the time, they were anonymous, but uh, since that time, they have come out publicly to discuss what happened in this house. Why is this uh, a story that I picked? Because, of course, this family first saw the ghost of a little girl named Sally. Now, I'm going to give you the Reader's Digest. And again, uh, over the next couple of weeks, there'll be a bonus episode for the Patreon folks uh, where I'll go over this in depth. But one day, uh, Tony and Deborah Pickman uh, found out they were going to have a child. So they set up one of the rooms as a nursery. And um, they began to experience paranormal activity. Um, you know, it almost seemed that the the paranormal activity was um, somehow centered around the fact that there was going to be a child there. And, uh, throughout the story, they do have a, a, a son. Um, but, uh, one evening, Tony Pickman went down to get a glass of orange juice. And as he closed the cupboard door and turned around, he saw the ghost of a little, possibly seven-year-old girl named Sally. And if you do your research, you will see that Tony actually drew a very, um, detailed sketch of the little girl that he saw. He's actually a very good artist. Um, definitely, uh, I couldn't have drawn something like that. Um, if you would have, uh, given me a billion dollars, it is in depth. It, it clearly shows what she looked like, her eyes, her hair. Um, and so the family began to, um, I would say create an empathy, within themselves towards this ghost, because after all, wouldn't you stop and think this poor little girl, she's lost here. What happened to this girl? And interestingly enough, and again, you know, this story is, um, could be told over several episodes of a podcast. The, um, the family starts to see paranormal activity surrounding the baby's room. Um, they'd have people over, um, they would begin arguing with each other because they would walk by the baby's room and the teddy bears would be in a circle on the floor and they would accuse one another. But eventually it became clear through um, family members and other friends being in the house that the bears and the toys would just put themselves there. Nobody could have gotten in the room to to move them. And so over the course of time, a paranormal team and an investigative team were brought in and they brought, you know, what I would consider state of the art um, equipment at the time. Definitely not the stuff they have now, but definitely for the time it was state of the art and they found odd things. All the uh, Polaroid pictures would be blurred, EMFs, cold spots, uh, poltergeist activity. And throughout the course of the sighting show, it, it began to build popularity mostly because Tony Pickman would have welts and scratches that would grow on him on camera. And, you know, critics would say that he would scratch himself and it takes a while for the welt to come up. But these were uh, scratches and welts that the camera would literally be focused on and it would take minutes for the welt to raise and bleed. Um, even initials would be carved on his back um, in places that he probably couldn't have reached. And there was enough people in the house to know that somebody didn't come by and scratch him without 
when nobody was looking. So Tony Pickman uh, became a celebrity, even though his face was blurred in the original, original videos, because people began to see that this was real. And when I watched this way back when, and have watched it over the course of time throughout just my own entertainment and studies, it, it astonishes me that people were assuming that this little girl was just somehow upset and was scratching him sometimes on the forehead. And it, it blew my mind because people didn't stop and think, why would the ghost of a little seven-year-old girl be scratching and tormenting this man like this? And as time went on, um, there was research done. A, a well-known uh, psychic was called in. His name was Peter James. When he first got to the house, if you watch those old videos, he said he saw a little girl in the window. He knew her name was Sally, which blew everybody's mind. And research was done that there was actually a Sally that probably died in the house, that there was a doctor that lived there and Sally might've been one of his patients. Peter James actually went to the cemetery and found a, a headstone that couldn't, that was illegible, but he said, this is where Sally rests. This is where her body is. And when research was done, that grave that was illegible was actually the resting place of a young girl named Sally. So the world was astonished and people believed that the psychics, the research, the information had to be real, that they were being haunted by the ghost of a little girl named Sally. But if you study the story throughout its time, um, the Pickmans eventually realized that there was no, this was not, the works of a little girl. This was demonic. And some people would say there was a ghost Sally and a demon. Uh, Peter James believed that there was uh, three people that had died in the house and there may be actually multiple spirits that were there. And maybe just one of them was evil or demonic. But in my belief system, I have to tell you that the Pickmans because of their emotional state, their excitement to um, have a child and to raise a child in this home, um, those emotions, the the fears, the happiness, they they're they're a beacon to spirits. Our emotionality is a very very intricate and really unexplored um, part of the spirit world. Um, even psychologically, we focus a lot on cognitive behavioral uh, interventions for behaviors because most uh, people in the psychological world attribute our behaviors to thoughts. You know, I think somebody once said, I think, therefore I am. And psychologists have ran with that. But I don't know of a lot of people that even in the psychology world that focus heavily on emotions. But remember, emotions drive us right? We have accused people out of emotion and found out later that we were wrong, but our emotions had us um, so focused that we couldn't see logic. And that's how powerful emotions can be. So if the Pickmans were going through a big emotional time in their lives, could it be possible that a demon could know the history of this, of this house 
and create a door by representing itself to be a, re- a, a, a replica of this little girl that lived there, knowing that if research was done, that people would say, oh, don't worry, this is just a ghost of a little girl. As a matter of fact, if you watch the sightings episode, Peter James is telling Tony Pickman, hey, don't worry, you're in control here. This, There's nothing to be afraid of. This is just a little girl. And uh, with all due respect to uh, Mr. James, that's not true. They weren't in control. That was a demon. That was a demon, in my opinion, that had weaved its way into this family. If you watch those episodes, the family was excited. They were There was a happiness to them that they were believed that this whole circus was going on. And the whole time, Tony Pickman was getting tormented and tortured. And, you know, there's varying um, stories and uh, theories on, you know, eventually how uh, this all uh, concluded. Um, and even to the point where it may have never concluded. Um, but here's what I believe. I believe that in most cases, there are no child spirits. In my belief system, a child, especially in their innocence, would be taken right to heaven. They haven't um, given over their lives to sin like we have as adolescents and adults. They're children. And I'm not saying there's not sin in them. I'm not saying that, um, you know, we need to go down the uh, route of original sin and are we born into sin and that type of thing. I'm just saying that a young child, uh, God sees them as innocents. Didn't Jesus say the kingdom of heaven is such as these? And so they would be taking right to heaven. What business would a child have left on this earth? In my book, I wrote this story because these are the thoughts that reel around in my head. The only way God would allow a ghost uh, of a child would be either a representation, representation of that child or the spirit of that child to come and help somebody before they um, return back to the presence of God to live out their eternity in heaven. I do not believe that a child ghost would roam the earth for decades or centuries like we see. Um, I've watched paranormal uh, programs where they go to asylums or um, institutions and they say that there's children spirits that roam those halls. And I, I'll be honest with you, I chuckle because those aren't those aren't child spirits. Those are spirits that disarmed the paranormal investigators. Those are spirits that have said, if I could rep- represent myself to be a child, there's no fear. They'll want to come back. I'll roll a ball back down the hall to them. I'll set off their, their uh, triggers and their alarms on their equipment and respond to them positively when they ask if I'm a child. But in those institutions, we also see evil. We see people getting scratched and tormented. And some people will say spirits even follow them home. Um, And again, if we open up the door to a spirit, remember that the devil roams around like a roaring lion seeking whom he shall devour. But we have to let him in.
And so as you contemplate what I'm saying here, if you are somebody who is struggling with spirits and you're not sure who they are, I want to talk to you about that. I don't want to minimize your beliefs, but I also want you to consider something else. If you, let's say, for example, live in a home that you feel is haunted and you feel that that may be the spirit of of a deceased relative or the spirit of a previous resident of that home, I think it's healthy to look at the lens and say, could this also be a spirit? that is representing itself to be something that I wouldn't be fearful of, something that I would actually welcome and uh, let in. I'm going to use a different um, analogy maybe to hammer this point home. Again, those of you who study the paranormal, you've heard of the concept of the black-eyed children. If you haven't, let me give you a brief overview. There is a a lore, if you will, a um, paranormal genre that speaks of these children that will show up unannounced and either knock on the door of a house, maybe approach a vehicle in a parking lot, and they will ask for permission to come in. And the people who report these sightings say that although the the disarming nature of having younger children walk up to your car and ask you to roll down the window and say, I need to get a hold of my parents. Can I come in to your car? You have to let me in. They also feel a sense of dread. They feel something isn't right. And when they eventually um, look closer, they see that these children have eyes that are completely black, no white part of the eye. It's all black. And they begin to realize that they are not talking to a child. The point I want to make is that they ask for permission. They don't just walk into your house. They'll knock on the front door. If you don't let them in, they'll go to the back door, the sliding glass door, knock on that and beg you to let them in. They don't seem to be able to come in unless they're invited. And I believe that is not only a very big truth in terms of how demons work. I believe that in those moments, these entities are, or I would call demons that these people are seeing are representing themselves to be children to gain access into your life. So if you um, we're sitting at home and the doorbell ring and you open the door and you saw two children saying that they're lost and need to come inside and use your phone to call their parents, but you feel a sense of dread and they say, I can't come in unless you let me come in, unless you welcome me in, unless you invite me in. That should raise an eyebrow, of course, because if you looked and saw they had completely black eyes, you be terrified, right? But very much the same in your life. Demons are knocking to come in. And it's not just in the form of ghosts, as we'll learn over the course of these episodes of this podcast. They come in different forms, but they may represent themselves to be ghosts or spirits or innocent spirits. And when it's all said and done, they may have weaved themselves into your life in a way that you're in big trouble. And 
also, like I always say, that's what we're here for, but let's help people not get there in the first place. I think that's maybe the backdoor point of this whole podcast is by helping others, we can help people open their eyes to the global spiritual battle that we are facing. I'm going to close out our podcast with a personal story. And this is one that won't be a typical story that I tell because it's not really one from my time as a deliverance minister. It's more of one of my time as just a a regular old uh, guy like most of you out there. I am somebody who um, prides myself maybe to as being somebody who can read people, who can kind of maybe get a sense of people's intentions, but um, I'm not God and I'm not perfect and I have been wrong. And um, I can go back in my life, um, definitely wasn't when I wasn't living for God. And I was, I guess what you would call in party mode. I was somebody who worked hard and, you know, went out on the weekends with my friends to, you know, to clubs or to bars and just, you know, had some drinks and just tried to find happiness in those places, which I personally never did. So, um, one night I, I met a a young lady that I had actually known from somewhere else. I saw her in kind of one of those, you look familiar, where do I know you from type things. And she was, uh, somebody who worked at a place that I would sometimes go to as part of my job as well. And we began to, talk and laugh and have some drinks. And before you know it, we were, you know, pretty, I, I want to say maybe attracted to each other, connected to each other somehow. And we were making the decision to go, um, you know, somewhere together after the bar, her place, my place type thing. And somewhere in my spirit, God even though I had would consider myself backslidden or away from God at the time, he reached out to my spirit and said, beware. I heard the word beware in my head. And so I said, Hey, let me ask you a question. Um, tell me five things about yourself. And she told me four things that I thought were, you know, some things that I would be attracted to, and I won't get into the details of that. But the fifth thing she told me was, I'm a Satanist. And I said to myself in that moment, and and I look back at this sometimes and say, what were you thinking? Because I said, is that enough for me not to go home with this person? And then of course, um, you know, God grabbed me by each shoulder and shook me metaphorically and said, why do you think I asked you to beware? And so I said, you know, I have to tell you that as much fun as we're having, you know, I'm a Christian, not a good one, but I'm a Christian. And I think that might be a deal breaker. And in the most sinister way maybe I've ever been spoken to by a person. She said, oh, I know you're a Christian. I'm just trying to eat your soul. And so, um, because she was driving me to my, uh, place because I was too intoxicated to drive. I thanked her and got out 
and went inside. And she laughed and said, you're not going to get rid of me that easily. And I said, well, unfortunately, we're not going to see each other again. And there was a season of my life where I believe her because there was paranormal activity in my home. My roommate, um, poor guy, was terrified and moved out um, because of the things that were going on in my house. And I eventually was able to, you know, repent, um, focus back on God and the activity stopped. But I look back and see that she was aware of who I was, but I wasn't aware of who she was because I wasn't focused. I wasn't in tune of what God wanted from me and where he wanted me to be. And maybe more importantly, where he didn't want me to be. But God loved me enough to, I would say, bail me out of a situation because what if I would have made the decision to go home with her and date her and um, intertwine my life with hers? I often wonder that. I wonder how that would have turned out. And unfortunately, I can tell you a hundred more stories of mistakes I made with with people and who I surround myself with. But um We'll save that for other stories and other episodes, maybe. But I want you to kind of conclude with this. If you're somebody who has entertained spirits, if you're somebody who has found yourself infatuated with spirits, if you're somebody who um, believes maybe that there was a haunting in your home or is a haunting in your home and it's mundane or it's um nothing to it type thing i would challenge you to discern is that really just some mundane spirit who happens to come by and knock stuff off the shelves every now and then or is that a demon that's building power building momentum by the energy that you give it by the energy that you feed it I'm going to give you a concept that I want you to have. God has already defeated the the devil and his demons. We forget that and we feed them. We give them power with our negative emotions, our anger, our disbelief, our grief, our sorrow. They feed on it. They want us to stay stuck because remember, they want to destroy us. And demons also see our happiness, our joy, um, the positive emotions, and they hate it. So they seek to destroy it by taking you to the negative. And so if you believe that these things are mundane, I believe you might be in danger. And so as you continue to listen to this podcast, I only ask that you hear my heart. What is my point? It, it, it troubles my soul that people don't realize what's happening to them until it's way far down the road, sometimes uh, too late or at least very late in the game for it to be an easy battle. I want us to have a framework where we see evil for what it is as close to the beginning as possible. Because then God can work in us 
in a much more um, uh, proactive way and not so reactive. Like a lot of the people that I've helped, they call me when this stuff's been going on for a year, six months, nine months. And it, and it takes a lot to, to get them to see that the love of Jesus Christ and the grace that he so abundantly pours out on us is a remedy to sin, sickness, and death. And more importantly, the demons flee at the name of Jesus Christ. We just have to believe. And so remember, if you have a story, you can reach out to me via email at anthony at thestruggleseries.com. I'll begin to entertain those stories um, and we'll uh, see if you want to be represented on the podcast in, in several different forms. We'll consider that to use as a way to not only get you some help, but also to help others to uh, find freedom from their struggles, if you will. Now, um, if you're a listener to this podcast, we should be on most uh, podcatchers that you can find, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, um, uh, you can um, help us out immensely by subscribing, review, share with a friend, set up your notifications, um, be looking for the social medias. You could find me, Anthony Corelli, author Anthony Corelli, on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, uh, and be looking for the actual podcast pages to be coming out soon. Um, share this with a friend as well. Pass it on. Um, uh, again, I want to thank you so much for joining us uh, on Freedom from the Struggle podcast. We look forward to seeing you next time, Wednesday at seven o'clock. In the meantime, let's say a prayer before we part today. Heavenly Father, so many people struggle with evil and don't know it. We all struggle with evil. We all have an enemy that's out to kill, steal, and destroy. He's out to rip us apart because he hates us because we're created in your image. God, your grace is so sufficient for every issue in my life, but the evil that's here clouds our vision. It clogs our spiritual arteries. Uh, so our heart doesn't beat for you like it should. God, I ask that you forgive me for my sin for the things that I do to create a, a divide between you and I that would allow spirits to begin to infiltrate my life daily, weekly, monthly. God, I pray that I would invite you into my life in such a way that you are evident in everything I do. And I ask that you open my eyes when I'm drifting down the wrong path. I pray for the people that are listening to this podcast. I pray for spiritual revolution from the oppression of darkness. I pray for those who are in the midst of a spiritual battle. I pray that their cries would be heard by you at your throne and that your Holy Spirit and the angels that you that serve you would come and help in that battle. I pray for freedom, for liberation from people in the midst of demonic oppression. So many people, God, in this world are experiencing demonic attack in the form of infestation or oppression or even possession. 
I pray that you would guide them to ministers, to lay people, to people that can help them find you because we believe that their only true freedom is in you. God, I pray for those that are listening to this podcast that were challenged today. I pray that they wouldn't be quick to judge my teaching, uh, but let them seek a journey of their own, not to believe me or disbelieve me, but to be inspired to research and to find what you want them to know in their lives. God, I love you. I love you for the places you've saved me from, from the sin that I have so willfully participated in, um, knowing that you love me. I pray that you would make me stronger in my faith every day. I pray that you would make me a better teacher by being somebody who doesn't judge, but just is willing to get in the mud with people. So God, I put all of this at your throne and I ask that you use this podcast as a vessel to help others. I pray for the people who are thinking about calling in that they would have the courage and the ability to know that this is a safe place. God, I love you and I thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ and Holy Spirit work in this place. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Again, thanks for joining us on Freedom from the Struggle. We'll see you next time. Blessings.